Welcome to Listening with Leaders. I'm Doug Noll, lawyer turned peacemaker. I teach executive leaders how to listen to emotions rather than words so that they can become the leaders everyone wants to follow. And I teach those same leaders how to be authentically present, available, and connected to their families, despite being insanely busy. I have learned that we are 98% emotional and only 2% rational. Learning how to listen to emotions is, in my experience, the foundational skill of life. Stick around to the end of the show, and I'll reveal how you can be on our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. So let's get started. Lillian Chen, you are the co-founder and COO of Barnon Games, and it is found on the internet at barnongames.com. Thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely, Doug. Thank you for having me here. So Barnon Games is all about team building for remote and hybrid workers. Tell us about the company and how you get started it and what it does. Yeah, so at Bar None, we bring people together, employees, coworkers, when they can't be physically present. We create spaces where they can engage, interact, and truly build real connections, turning coworkers into people that you know, um, into, into people that you have much stronger connections with. So essentially, the way that we started was in 2020, obviously, the pandemic hit. I think every single person knew what it felt like immediately to have to switch from working in an office to suddenly being forced to working, whether on Zoom or virtually in another manner. And what we've heard when we talk to many managers is that productivity remained the same. Actually, in some cases, productivity actually went up. People really enjoyed the autonomy of being able to control what their day-to-day looked like, and they really enjoyed not having to commute to the office anymore. But the number one problem that managers and teams faced was employee engagement. And so it was, I mean, you're missing out on the casual water cooler conversation. You're missing out on what did your coworker do this weekend when every single meeting that you have is planned on your calendar with an agenda, that's work focused. And you really lose a lot of the humanity of what it feels like to be in an in-office environment with a coworker. So that's kind of where Bar None comes in. We have five different event formats that are all focused on bringing people together in a virtual space and creating opportunities for them to actually interact in a casual manner where you're not being forced to have to make casual small talk because we're giving you a lot of content to engage with and you're forced to collaborate in order to participate on our events. And so you're actually forming these real connections with your coworkers and truly bonding. Um, it's something that, you know, even, even before Bar None, my co-founder was really enthusiastic about community building and something that he had a lot of experience doing in person. And then when we transitioned everything to the virtual space, it definitely is challenging to figure out how you create real human connection, but it's something that we have worked really hard on to figure out what is the right format where that connection feels real and authentic, and you can replicate that water cooler experience. So how do you become a co-founder? I know you've got a background, you're a Harvard MBA, you know, probably overeducated like me. (laughs) Um, you and I know you were in the in the VC world for a while in finance. How did you end up becoming a co-founder of a startup? So I actually met my co-founder at my Harvard MBA program. So funny you mentioned that. And the reason that Bar None came to even exist is because we were HBS class of 2019. Our one-year reunion, as you can imagine, was May of 2020, which suddenly went virtual. And so it was honestly a, um, a make lemonade out of lemon situation where this in-person event where you were forced, I mean, you're not forced, but you were, you know, 
trying to reconnect with people and reunite with people suddenly went virtual. So my co-founder was president of his section, which is essentially a group of 90 people in our class. And he was the one who was in charge of how do you actually bring people together? Um, he came up with this virtual format of a team-based trivia event that really worked well to make people interact, engage with each other. And also people were able to spend time in smaller group settings as well as the big, larger group. So that different personalities were able to feel comfortable speaking out in different settings. The format that worked so well that people started coming to him and saying, hey, can you come and do this for my team and I'll actually pay you for this? So it began extremely organically. And for me, I got brought into the picture actually a few months later when he decided that this was something where it could really, it had legs and it could really become a business of its own. It was beyond just, you know, a side hustle. So I came in after um, working at a venture fund where I worked on launching companies from zero to one. I was really excited to build something of my own and truly take ownership of a company. And it worked out. The two of us were friends in business school and there was this opportunity and it's been history since there. Wow. Well, you're COO, so you're in charge of operations. What's what is what's the thing that you enjoy most about your your role in the company? I mean, our company is really a people business. So every single event that we do is live hosted, which means that you're not just hopping on an event and engaging in software tools. You're actually seeing a real person who's a professional entertainer. We get to work with professional actors, comedians, um, people who are on Broadway. So truly talented people. Their backgrounds are so different from my own. But a big part of my job is to find these talented people, train them on what it's like to entertain in a virtual environment, which actually for them is quite different too, if they're used to being on stage or having a, um, you know, a movie camera, a commercial camera, the, the audience interaction is actually quite different. So for me, it's been really, really cool to be able to dive into an industry and a sector that's completely different from my own background, anything that I've been able to experience, and at the same time, be able to provide this massive community of people with a new form of employment and something that in 2020 post-pandemic world is something that they can all rely on for a source of income. Wow. So you're meeting all kinds of interesting people and that is that gets you really excited and it makes it really fun. It's extremely fun. And these people, they're so talented. They are literally born to bring people together and born for the stage. They're unlike anyone that I I surround myself with in my daily life. I don't know a lot of professional entertainers, um, but it's been really cool to get to know people. Yeah, it, it looks like it's really exciting to you and a lot of fun. So um, what have you learned as a young leader in a startup that you didn't learn at HBS, Harvard Business School? Yeah, I mean, running a business is really a people business. Um, it's both what I find the most fulfilling, but also I find the most challenging at times. I think there's a lot of things you can learn in the classroom with regards to, you know, how do you manage um, operations in terms of efficiency? How do you manage processes? How do you set up, uh, how do you, you know, accounting 101, things like that, marketing 101. But at the end of the day, people management, I think is really hard to learn in a classroom without actual real world experience. And also not every person is the same. And so it's um, it's honestly been a really interesting challenge for me to go from my past world, which was super structured with a very specific personality type in the finance world, to now diving into the startup tech world and especially working with a lot of people who, you know, their brains work really differently and their motivators are really different. But it's also been part of what I find the most fulfilling. How do you how do you manage that transition? 
I spent a lot of time, honestly, just talking to people, getting to know them. Um, I think it's important to care deeply about the individual and to become a good manager. You really actually have to care about the person and really get to know them. What are their intrinsic motivators, their key drivers? What does their day-to-day look like? And I think especially in a remote world where you're only getting very small glimpses of people, whether it's that 30-minute session or even like if it's a two-hour session, there's so much of their lives that happens off off Zoom, off screen, and being able to understand the broader context gives you a lot of, I think, empathy with how you interact with people and a lot of, um, you know, you're you're able to make decisions and choices with the full picture of what is that person and what do they actually want. So you've learned that people management skills are are the most important skills you have and something that's very difficult to teach in business school. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah. So have you run into much conflict in your business? Um. I would say, yeah. I mean, I think with any business, it's not all just, uh, unfortunately, it's not all just up and to the right where there are definitely challenges with, uh, especially being a business owner. So how do you manage those conflicts? What what kind Um, of tools do you bring to bear on them? Yeah, I think having a really uh, structured framework around what is the actual goal of whatever the decision is or whatever the conflict is, being able to take emotions aside at some point you know, at some point and actually being able to think about what are the key facts we're looking at. And I think the other thing is honestly, it's not about changing someone's opinion, but it's about what is the actual outcome. And so even if two people have different opinions, ultimately, if you're aligned on the same goal, being able to move beyond, am I right or am I wrong? But what is the actual goal that we're trying to achieve here together? Getting people, getting people aligned. And when they're aligned, even if they disagree with the mode, they can go with the, they can go with the outcome. Absolutely. So what would you tell a young woman today if if they were if that woman was interested in pursuing your career path? What would you tell them? How would you tell them to go about doing that? I think any young entrepreneur, you have to really believe in the idea that you're working on and really believe in the value that you're bringing to your clients or to the world, whatever your mission is. There's going to be so many ups and downs, honestly, that in order to get through those tough, low moments, you have to kind of have that North Star belief in what you're spending your time on. It's it's worth it. Um, I think the other thing I'd say is no matter what happens at the end of the day, the amount of personal growth that any entrepreneur will go through is so immense that whether it's a failure or a success, if you measure your own, if you measure your own success by your own personal growth, no matter what happens, it's going to be a valuable part of your chapter. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think that I, I in my in a long time ago, former life, I was a trial lawyer for 22 years. I, I I cannot tell you about many of my wins. I can tell you about my losses. <laughs> the losses that you always remember. Yes. That's right. but the other the other thing I'd say, Doug, is to also celebrate your wins. It's oh, easy sure. to when you take a when you have a win, it's easy to just move on quickly and go, tackle the next challenge, especially when it feels like there's a lot of challenges that are happening. Yeah. But it, it's important to pause and celebrate your Absolutely. wins, no matter how big or small. So one of the things that I, I, as I'm listening to you and listening to how you're thinking about this, one of the things that strikes me is that for you, listening is very important. Yeah, I think um, it's impossible to run a business by yourself. You're going to need other people around you and the support of other people and the belief of other people. And I think any business, no matter what it is, is a people business at the end of the day, which requires definitely listening to other people and getting people aligned on board with whatever your vision is. So how do you learn how do you learn how to listen? 
this wasn't I can guarantee it wasn't taught at Harvard. Yeah, I mean, I think that active listening is a skill. Um, it's really hard to both listen, but also and not have your brain actively try to react. And sometimes I like to take the mindset of, um, of being a researcher, like asking questions, generally trying to understand someone's intent, not trying, again, not trying to change their opinion, just trying to understand where they're coming from um, and trying to learn more about the person. It's definitely a frame of mind that doesn't always come naturally to me. And it's something that I work on all the time, but with practice, like anything, it's a, it's a muscle that you can grow. Right. I, I, I teach, um, in, I do many things in my life, as you can probably gather. <laughs> One of the things that I am, I teach, uh, life inmates and people serving long-term prison sentences in maximum security prisons, how to be peacemakers to reduce prison violence. And one of the first skills we teach our incarcerated students is how to listen to emotions. Yeah. And what we found is that when you're dealing with, with in conflict or emotion or upset or violence, as is the case in prison, that when you start telling, start listening to another person's emotions and validating those emotions, things start to change really rapidly. And in fact, there's brain science now that supports that the work that we've been doing. Um, that the emotional centers of the brain are inhibited and the executive function of the brain, the right ventral lateral prefrontal cortex is activated. And it has this effect of calming people down in literally seconds. Um, really powerful, really powerful what we've developed. And it's fun to watch people transform as they do it. Um, yeah, that that really resonates. And the other thing I'd say is um, that's been a big learning of mine too, as someone who is, I've really had to work at this skill, to be honest, but I think just understand the concept of understanding and validating someone's feelings doesn't mean that you'd have to agree with them. Exactly correct. And it's the validation and having them be seen and be heard that. Yeah. You strike me as being a very, very smart young woman. <laughs> uh, obviously Harvard, Harvard graduate. Um, and I know that there's a at at Harvard. I've worked with people from the Harvard Negotiation Project, um, uh, Pons Project on Negotiation, for years. And and I know that they're extremely analytical people. Um, I'm wondering w whether the the kind of listening we're talking about now as a leader is it is is any different than the kind of more casual listening you might do outside of your work with Barn on Games. I think um, I think the biggest difference when it comes that I find at least when it comes to being a leader versus in my social or personal life is oftentimes I have an opinion when I come into a meeting, but I like to hold the mindset of strong opinion loosely held. <laughs> so I am a, I am a Harvard MBA at heart. I have and I come from you know the world of finance where everything right. is data and analytics, and so it's really hard for me to not have a strong opinion. But the core is the second piece, which is loosely held. And so being open and actually listening to people, being open to having your mind changed. Um, and it is a skill that I, you know, I definitely think candidly I could be better at. And I think it's something that for someone who is naturally trained in a way that's very data heavy, it's not the easiest to always remind yourself that it, it should be a loosely held opinion. But truly, I mean, the value of, I think, having a team and having other people that you can bounce ideas off of is having their perspectives. Um, and what's the point of having these smart people on your team if you're not going to listen to them? 
That's right. And and how do you prevent yourself from falling into all kinds of cognitive biases and decision making if you don't have people out there telling you that you're not wearing any clothes, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, I think that's a big problem. And I, I think in leadership, that's one of the biggest problems that people have is that they're now at the top and either people below them are intimidated or only want to feed them what they want to hear. And the leader himself or herself is not capable of creating an open, safe space where the most radically different views are as welcome as conformist views. Absolutely. And also taking their account, their opinions into account also, because right. I think it can also be discouraging if you're someone who's a little bit lower down and you feel like you keep bringing up ideas or pushing back on things. And even if there is a space for you to say that, if it doesn't feel like it's genuine, it can also feel, you know, it can be inauthentic. And after a while, I think it's easy to get discouraged. That's right. And that, that just turns people down, turns them off. And so they shut down and now, now you've lost the value of their, their perspectives. Absolutely. I always tell, I always tell leaders one, protect your introverts and protect your outliers. Yeah. The introverts are going to give you as much wisdom as anybody, but they're never going to say a word unless you protect them and prompt them. And your outliers are the ones that are going to give you the crazy stuff that's going to, uh, 99 of 100 are going to be stupid, but that one that is smart is really smart. Yeah, I I love what you said there, actually, which is protect and prompt, because I think you need both. You have to encourage it. And then when they do do it, you have to really listen and, and genuinely listen. Right, exactly. And it's hard to do. I think it's hard to do for people. One, if you haven't been taught the skills of listening, and it's a skill that has to be cultivated like anything else, like riding a bicycle. If you haven't been, if you haven't been taught how to do that, then it's so easy to get distracted. You know, one of the things that happens when we're talking with each other is that somebody will say something and that will create an emotional trigger in me. And all of a sudden now that emotional trigger has upset my flow of thought. And now I'm distracted and thinking about what I'm thinking about, what am I going to say next? I'm really not paying attention anymore. And I think that happens a lot to people, even, even really smart people. And the trick is learning how to listen in a way that you don't get triggered from what other people are saying and, or you don't get reactive or you don't get distracted by maybe an emotional reaction you have to what person is saying. Somebody says something and you're in your head, some part of your brain says, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. This is an idiot. You know, and now all of a sudden you're off off track, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that resonates so much, Doug. And I think it's, it's really hard to, to take yourself out of that place mentally, to be in a place where you can almost listen at a distance and not feel immediately defensive or immediately reactive and be able to almost like listen from a third party perspective where you're able to, um, you're able to like judge the words for what it is without your own emotional triggers in your head. I think that I think the secret, like I said, I think the secret is learning how to read the emotions of others. And and, and when you do that, at least in my experience, um, I'm so focused on what another person's emotional experience is that it just kind of occludes everything else. And the beauty of that I've learned is that when I pay attention to your emotions, I'll remember everything you said, even though I'm ignoring your words, because yeah. all all learning is associated with emotion. Yeah. And yeah. So it's 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 really interesting. So where where is Barnon Games going? What's what's the is it got an exit strategy? Is it gonna just get big and keep going, or what's gonna happen? What's the plan? 
Yeah, I mean, we are here. We believe the future of work is remote and hybrid. And I think the space itself is definitely changing and shifting. It's a really exciting space to be in. More and more companies that we're seeing get launched are distributed first. It's just way easier to hire talent when you aren't limited by the bounds of your own city that you're you're headquartered in. And people, honestly, employees are asking for it. People, whether it's during the pandemic or otherwise, they've moved perhaps to, to other cities. And I think um, one thing that really that I read recently is it's not about the, the future of work. It's about the future of life where people are almost evaluating their lives in a different way where I don't I would rather be close to the mountains or close to my loved ones you know, wh- wherever it is. And why does my job have to dictate where I physically am? And so it's really exciting. I love working with all the different teams that we get to work with across a bunch of different fortune 500s, as well as startups and seeing the transformation that's been taking place there. And the number one thing that we keep hearing people say is employee engagement, employee morale. That's the one thing that it's really hard for managers to actually figure out on their own. And it's exciting for us to be the ones to be able to step in and help with that. Very cool. I mean, I, you, and your point about remote work is here to stay in, in my profession, one of my professions, one of my many professions as a professional mediator, our, our work has completely changed in the last three years. Um, we would have very expensive offices in central cities. Lawyers and clients would come to us, all gone, all gone. I don't know of any of my colleagues around the world who, are, who aren't working out of their homes now and have gotten rid of the overhead and the expense. Yeah, uh, literal dollars, but also hours. And that's what's, right. the, what's the most valuable thing in life is that's right. Time. And what's interesting in in the mediation and, and even in the arbitration work is that uh, it's faster. Yeah, it's more efficient. Yeah, because it's nobody has to coordinate to... with people because you don't have to coordinate logistics of that's getting something. You don't have to coordinate there. logistics, and lawyers seem to be much more focused. Their clients seem to be much more focused, and we find that the the mediation process seems to go a lot better. And I haven't noticed any loss of of ability to listen to people emotionally on Zoom. Yeah. Uh, the, the video process is actually more conducive to listening because I'm just looking at you, Lillian. Yeah, no distractions. <laughs> on anybody else. There are no other distractions. And I can I can see your face and watch what you're doing and listen to what you're saying and really understand where you're coming from. So I think this is really powerful. But I agree. If you've got a team of people together and they're all in different physical locations, I mean, we are social animals. And the work that you and your teams are doing to to bring people together, even even virtually, I think is really powerful. Right. And I think some of it is also there's there's the actual execution piece of work. And then there's also the creative collaboration. And that Uh creative collaboration is really difficult to do when everyone is 100 percent remote all the time. And you need those moments of more casual interactions in order for just casual knowledge share to happen so that not everything is 100% scheduled out, 100%, you know, bulleted an agenda item. So as I'm listening to this, it sounds like some of the things that you do, it's not just team building exercises, but it's ways of getting people to interact in different ways virtually that gets them thinking together, collaborating together, problem solving together in ways that would not work in a formal structured agendized meetings. Yeah, I mean, we, every single one of our events focuses on collaboration interaction and at the core of what we do, it's it's a games company, but really at the core of what we do is encouraging people to have these opportunities where they're really collaborating together and learning those skills of working together. 
Is uh, as a startup, do you have many employees in your company? It sounds like it's pretty. You're pretty a pretty tight team. We have so we have five people who are full time at headquarters, and then we have a team of seventy contractors who are oh, wow. the the live faces on the screen that facilitate the events. These are the, your facilitators and actors and people like that that you bring in. Exactly. Okay. And how do you how do you decide who to bring in on what kind of assignment or contract? We go through a pretty thorough vetting process, actually. Some of it has to do with your actual charisma, the energy that you can bring to the table. And then some of it has to do with um, logistical know-how. I mean, all of our events, we have a back-end system that we teach and train to all of our hosts. But for a host to be comfortable with, you know, working some of these tools is helpful for them to have some sort of knowledge of ahead of time. And the other thing is just their availability and how it aligns with when most of our events are. So if a, if a client contacts you, they'll it'll typically be a, could be HR, could be somebody higher up in the organization. They're saying, I need to, we need to do something to engage our employees. What, what, how, what can you do for us? You get that kind of open-ended question, right? And then you do your dog and pony show and explain it all to them. And then, they, then you start narrowing down what, what kind of process would work for them. Exactly. There's usually a few specific use cases that people come to us for. Team, general team building is definitely one of them. Employee onboarding is another one. Um, sometimes in the in in the case of mergers and acquisitions, where you might have a mass amount of employees that are being introduced to each other for the first time, or if it's, for example, a summer class of interns, where you need some sort of way for a large group of people to to break the ice effectively. Um, we also do a lot of events in the diversity and inclusion space where a minority owned company, and we have a lot of events that are focused around both education, but also fun in specific DNI areas. So we work with a lot of corporate ERGs to help them bring their group together in a new creative format. Wow. I hadn't even thought about the M&A world, but you're right. If you're bringing two companies together, you there's a clash of cultures there, isn't there? Yeah. And it's just, it's clash of culture. It's so many people that are being introduced at once. It's really hard to do that. And and if you're physically located in two different places, whether you're in person or remote, it's really hard for people to really have that casual time. Sounds like you've been successful at it though. Yeah. Yeah. We've been, we've been, um, we've been working hard over here, but it's been, it's been a good ride so far. How do you, who's, who does the creative thinking about what kinds of exercises or, or problems you can put people through? How, you, how does that all come about? We, we have a pretty thorough uh, product development process. My co-founder, Spencer, he's the one who is a lot of the creative brain behind it. But we do a lot of testing. We do a lot of demo testing with different people, figure out what's actually fun. And, you know, not every activity that we think is fun may necessarily resonate with the broader audience. And so we do a lot of testing. And then he comes up with a lot of the actual content that goes into the event. Huh. Interesting. It sounds like it's a really creative, exciting, fun place for you to be right now. It is. It is definitely. One more question, then we'll wrap it up. Tell me one thing about yourself that no one would know about unless you revealed it. Oh, this is a good question. That's actually a great icebreaker question. We should add it to our, our list of icebreaker questions. You, you, you're, you have my permission to steal it from me. All right. <laughs> Perfect. Um, I think one thing, I guess one thing that um, no one would expect from me 
is I think at service level, I am very, you know, data analytics heavy, very numbers driven, but there's actually a side of me that's actually very creative and enjoys the creative process. Um, on the side, I, I'm, you know, in my personal free time, I used to paint. I used to do a lot of other um, types of creative work. Bar none's actually been a really fun exercise to enable me to both do the data analytics process orientation. Obviously, a lot of that involves operations, but at the same time, do some more creative things, um, whether it's with creative marketing ideas or the actual visual creatives. But it's the first time in my career where I've really been able to stretch into that, you know, the, the other side of my brain, really. So everybody looks at Lillian and sees this hard-driven business person, analytics and data-driven. And under at night, she's a true creative. Exactly. exactly. Creating new ideas and having fun. Yeah. And now now during because of bar none, a little bit of it during the day too, which is really yeah. nice to be able to merge the two. All right. Well, where can people find out more about you and more about bar none? So Bar None, you can follow us on LinkedIn, Bar None Games. We also have an Instagram, Bar None Games as well. Um, but the easiest way is really to just go to our website, barnongames.com, B-A-R-N-O-N-E-G-A-M-E-S.com and sign up for our newsletter. And I take it there's a contact form there. If people are watching this, people who watch this are typically entrepreneurs and corporate executives, senior level professionals who are probably going to be interested in what you offer. And they can find they can reach out to you through the website, I'm sure. Yes, the website is the, is the easiest way. And if you sign up for a weekly newsletter, you'll actually get weekly trivia content delivered right to your email. Well, so that'll be a, a bit of a teaser for what you would receive on our actual event. Well, there you go. Well, thank you so much for, for being on the show and being my guest today, Lillian. It has been a true pleasure uh, listening to you and learning from you. And um, thank you very much. Thank you, Doug. We'll see you all next time in the next show. Doug Knoll here. Thank you so much for listening to Listening with Leaders. If you are a successful executive leader who would like to be on this program, please visit podcast.dougnoll.com slash podcast. If you got something out of this interview, would you please share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on the social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag listening with leaders. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to my website, dougnoll.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. That's at Douglas E. Noel. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next show.